is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with John Epperson, and we have a fantastic conversation. We talk about identity, fear, desire, and so many more lessons that he's learned along his life path. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did having the conversation with John Epperson. Enjoy. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on the phone is John Epperson. John, thank you for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Uh, You have such an interesting life. I want to talk about um, the beginning of time for you, what entertainment means to you. I want to talk about uh, the piano. And, uh, of course, I want to talk about Lipsinka. I want to start, though, at the very beginning of time for you. Uh, Growing up, what were your entertainment dreams? Well, gee... um... Well, unfortunately, like so many people, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a movie star. Uh, Looking back, I'm not sure that was the wisest hope in the world. Mm. And uh, probably uh, a symptom of something. But uh, I think it had a lot to do with what Mama Rose says at the end of Gypsy, when her daughter says, Mama, why did you do it? And Rose says, I guess I just wanted to be noticed. And I think we all want to be noticed, whether we're in show business or not. We want to be noticed, even if we have uh, a job that has nothing to do with the entertainment business. We want our boss to say we did a good job, right? Of course, yes. And I, I wanted to be noticed, I think, badly. Uh, I had two older sisters, and uh, so there were three of us competing for attention. And probably that had something to do with it. But it also looked like fun to me. And I loved to go to the movies when I was a kid and I'm still a movie buff and I loved being in the school plays when I was a grammar school student and then I discovered uh, the piano which was a way to be contributing and being noticed but also a way to kind of disappear at the same time, because the piano player is often in the background, you know. There are some piano players who become stars, that's true. Liberace, for instance. Am I helping you out here, Annie? Oh my goodness, yes. I'm, I, I'm so curious what the, the juxtaposition was between wanting to be noticed and then wanting to be in the background, if I heard that correctly. I'm not sure if I heard that correctly. You did. Well, it's like Sondheim has said, ambivalence is drama. So (laughs) I was was, uh, competing competing notions, typical ambivalence for an artist, I think. Uh, certainly typical for Sondheim, who wrote Send in the Clowns and then said, I don't write hits. Right. <laughs> and a company 
is all about ambivalence, I, and so is follies, I think. Yeah. But we're we're getting ahead of ourselves, I guess. No, we'll we're, yeah. This is great. I love jumping. I love jumping. So this is great. Um, and I had uh, very little encouragement to uh, pursue show business. My my parents did pay for the piano lessons, but. Uh, at the same time, they would say, don't you think you should get your teaching license? Well, teaching means not being a star, right? Although I suppose you can be a star teacher. Yeah, yeah. But uh, teaching meant not being really noticed in a major way. And why did Barbara Streisand want to be famous, other than the fact that she was very talented? I don't know if you ever read a book by William Mann that's about Barbara Streisand, but it only goes through the opening of the stage show of Funny Girl. And uh, when... That that show had a very rocky history. I don't know if you know about that. It went through a couple of directors, and Garson Kanan's name is on it as director, but then they let him recede into the background, and they brought Jerome Robbins back, and Robbins has a credit something like entire production supervised by or something like that. Right. And when when he came back, he started giving Streisand helpful notes about the character of Fanny Bryce. This is all detailed in in the book Hello Gorgeous by William Mann. And he tells her uh, in the notes about Fanny Bryce, you're a dog that will do tricks to do to please other people. You constantly have to be putting on a show in order to fill the empty hole in your heart. Well, he might as well have been describing Barbara Streisand, not just Fanny Bryce. Right. And it, he basically handed her career, her career because she's been using that, I think, ever since for all of the characters she's portrayed. But then I thought, well, don't we all? We all have an empty hole in our heart that has to be filled. Mm. So uh, that's probably what I was doing. I don't know. You may not have expected this psychological reply from me. I love it. Well, good. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I can't just give you a superficial response, I guess, about this important question. No, I yeah, I don't want the superficial. And usually, I wait about twenty minutes before we get this deep. But <laughs> why not? Why not? So how how have you found? And whatever this word means to you, how have you found uh, closure of that hole? Oh, well, you're assuming I have. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I probably have found I probably have found it to a degree. Uh, I have achieved a lot of things that I wanted to achieve. I've, there are things that I have wanted to achieve that I have not achieved. And, uh, and I may never achieve them. But uh, considering my background, having done what I have done, it's very rewarding to know that. Uh, I wonder if I shouldn't be even more driven because uh, <clears throat> look at Joan Rivers who was so driven, 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 driven. And Roddy McDowell once said to me, don't ever give up. Hmm. So the, <clears throat> the days when I think, oh, well, I can relax, you know, then I remember what he said to me. I miss him terribly. It would be so interesting to uh, hear what he has to say, would have to say today if he were still alive. I think Roddy died 22 years ago, which is pretty surprising when you really stop and think about it. Yeah. And there's so many things I would like to ask him now but too late can't are there are there any questions that you would like to ask him that you ask yourself or you ponder daily or have pondered you know recently so to speak oh <clears throat> uh, well a lot of the questions i would like to ask him were really about himself okay things that i things that i didn't think of when i was friendly with him from about 95 to 98. We had a nice friendship. But the other day, Lassie Come Home was on, which I've never really seen, and I saw bits of it, and there he is, just a boy, you know, just a child, a tot, practically. <clears throat> and would love to ask him about what he remembered about making that and ask him about times when he was frustrated that he was making some doing some work that maybe not has had been as great as the times when he was on top his peaks and valleys i mean yeah now i'm wondering if um you could take us to the theater for a second and describe what you feel when you are performing. The house lights are down, the stage lights are on you. What what feeling, what do you feel? What's your experience up there emotionally? Huh, well, of course, that can be, uh, it often depends on what the circumstances are and how good the audience is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, when I was younger, I used to feel, I used to feel that <clears throat> I was uh, kind of standing in a circle of energy that was important 
and <clears throat> maybe I still feel that subconsciously, but uh, it's not as conscious as it used to be. Mostly about uh, pleasing and satisfying the audience and the ones that really want to go on the journey, that they get a transcendental experience almost. That's my hope. Right. And there's, yeah, there's something incredible about the emotional experience a room of 1,500 people go on in a night. It's... It's it's describable, but it's also indescribable. And I really enjoy uh, the machinery of performance. How, how do you mean? Uh, well, how all the components come together and make a smooth performance. Um, sure. That make a. It's almost functions like a machine, although it is subject to human error and human frailties. But uh, the whole, the works of the whole thing, like, for instance, the production of Hello, Dolly! that Bette Midler did, everything about that seemed so well-oiled and at the same time, they didn't look like, oh, we're sick of doing this eight shows a week. You know, they all looked like they were still enjoying it. There was something very rewarding about watching that, and also the little bit that I've had the opportunity to be in a big show like that. Mm. It's very rewarding to be in the middle of it yeah. and making it happen. Are there common themes that you have witnessed from your mentors uh, of top performers, top performances? Are there <clears throat> any uh, yeah, common themes that come to mind? Common themes? Hmm. Well... I'd have to think about that for a second. I have a theory about movies, and maybe this applies to live performance as well. Probably. <laughs> that, 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 that the best movies are about identity. Um, yeah. Look at, look at Vincent Minnelli's movies. They're very often about identity on a clear day. Well, that's not one of his best, but it has some wonderful things in it, and it's about a girl who has multiple identities. And bells are ringing, also not one of his best, but it's about a woman who has multiple identities. Or look at Gigi, which is one of his best, and that's about a young woman who has an identity that's being forced upon her by her family members, and then she stands up for what she feels is her real identity. Okay, well, that's Vincent Minnelli. So look look at the Alfred Hitchcock movie, Marnie, which is about a woman who has multiple identities. 
and why, and then we find out why because of this terrible childhood trauma that happened to her and her religious repressive mother tied into that story uh look at the movie imitation of life which is about also about a young woman who's trying to escape her racial identity uh what about sunset boulevard where which is about a 50-year-old forgotten movie star who feels like her identity has been forgotten. Or All About Eve, which is about a 40-year-old actress who doesn't want to lose her identity as a star. So take that notion and apply it to... Lena Horne's show on Broadway in 1981, was that about identity? Hmm. Uh, That was an an incredible performance. Now, some people, including Arthur Lawrence, thought that Lena in that show was putting on, did you ever hear that term, putting on? That she was pretending to be blacker than she had been in her social life. Right. And he says in his biography that, you know, that he was very good friends with her, but he said, I was sitting in the audience looking at a woman I didn't know. Hmm. And she knew <laughs> that I was seeing that. But maybe the people who criticized Lena Horne for putting on were wrong. Perhaps she was on an identity search, and there's nothing wrong with that. Is Liza Minnelli, I saw Liza Minnelli do her concert. Well, I've seen Liza in concert a few times, but the first time I saw her was in 1973 from the front row of the Civic Center at LSU in Baton Rouge. That was a great experience. Was that about identity? Uh, Maybe. Some people say that the only times Eliza and Judy were ever comfortable and relaxed and at home was on the stage. How how have you found your identity? Or, again, I'm assuming, (laughs) how have you found your identity in, in performing, in theater? Well, a lot of people think that the Lipsinka shows are about identity. Did I go into it knowing that? No, I didn't. Hmm. But that's all right. <laughs> it's, very, it's very possible to make something that is about, that is ultimately about something and you didn't even know that. Um. And I can see why people would want to say that Lip Sync Show is about identity because it does use a lot of different people's voices. And so I can see how it would raise the notion of identity. Um, 
Well, I've never, I've never uh, shied away from the fact that I'm from Mississippi. I have never shied away from my age because it's all over the internet. So there's no point in denying it. So uh, I've never. That's you know, all those things are part of my identity. I have known people who wish they hadn't been from Mississippi. Um, I've known people who've denied their own Jewishness. And that's probably damaging to a person's identity. But I'm not totally sure that I am aware of my own identity because these things, next year something new could be revealed, you know? Right. Right. I had a friend who used to say that he thought Bette Midler didn't know who she was because she seemed to be trying on so many different guises. Hmm. But to me, that was inspiring. The first time I saw Bette in concert was not live, but on her first HBO special, which I think was 76. And uh, what I thought she was doing, well, I didn't have a word, I didn't have the words for it at the time. But now, when I think back on that show, what she was doing was uh, what we now call a mashup, a cultural mashup, because Bette would go from Kurt Vile to Tom Waits to, <laughs> to being in King Kong's Paw at the top of the Empire State Building and looking at him and singing Nicky Arnstein, Nicky Arnstein. Well, (laughs) (laughs) all those different cultural sources and putting them all together into one event was very thrilling to me. And I said to myself, oh, I want to do something like that someday too. And And I ultimately did, but in a different way than she did it. Yeah. Not sure I'm answering your questions, Clay. I hope I am. You are. No, John, you definitely are. This is this is fantastic. I'm so glad that we can just cut through all the other stuff and get right to the truth about life. <laughs> I think this is I I'm moved by this conversation and I'm I'm sure that says something about me and I'm sure other people are moved as well by listening when this airs cuz it is not live. <laughs> um is there a piece of advice that you would give someone, maybe, who's struggling with their identity? Oh, well, perhaps the best advice would be to go to a very good psychotherapist if you can find a really good one and can afford it. Right, right. Um, I think the talking cure is probably the best way to deal with that kind of thing Mm. and to and and I feel like people nowadays are talking about identity more it's a concept that I feel is being talked about more yeah feel like I keep seeing and hearing that word lately 
and uh, with this bizarre time that we're living in, but hopefully we'll start fixing itself soon, thanks to a new president and a vaccine. Two things we need, <laughs> have needed. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, but I, I would imagine a lot of people are struggling with identity because of what we've been going through for the past four years, and especially the past nine months. Yeah. I think part of the problem could be that our current president himself struggles with identity. Yeah. If we're to believe his niece anyway. Right. Yeah, it would appear it would appear as though the country as a whole is having an identity crisis. Has been. Yes, and the and the 70 million people who admire him. Yeah. Are they are they going through an identity crisis? <clears throat> but an identity crisis need not be a bad thing, but it is a struggle. Yeah. You know, going to psychotherapy is very frightening at first and difficult. Right. And I'm hoping that this, I don't want to seem too kumbaya, kumbaya about it all, or as a friend of mine said, too earthshoe about it, but maybe this is growing pains that our relatively young country has to go through and democracy is still kind of a new concept. Yeah. I, from what I witness, uh, what I've witnessed in New York city and now being in Florida, I, I'm sorry, that, that had a lot of, (laughs) that was a loaded way of saying Florida. Um, the difference between Manhattan and Florida I have noticed a ways of the past that people just don't want to let go of or change. It's, you know, challenging to change. And when, you know, what's been is not what should be, I I see a lot of tense response, reaction more than response to it, if that makes sense. Well, you're saying that that people in Florida are don't want to change. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, due to and age, people in New York, people th- in New York are more likely to go along with change. Yeah, I mean, I think we're always growing. I that's a belief I have at you know 28. <laughs> but I wonder, you know, people at a certain age believe that growing stops in all facets. I don't, you know, that's that's up for debate. <laughs> I guess. Well, the, the phrase "Make America Great Again" is a regressive. Yeah. Fr- it's a regressive phrase, and and by the way, Reagan used the same phrase. Yeah. Oh, I think although I think his was "Let's make America great again." Let us make America great again. Right. <clears throat> but even then, that was probably a regressive. Yeah. And uh, and it's nostalgia, and it's and it's a yearning, I think, for an America that never really existed. I think my mother still yearns for the 1950s, when yeah. her children, before her children were sexual beings, and before the pill, and before 
all the changes that happened in the 60s. Right. But when censorship broke. Yeah. Yeah, this is, um, I'm loving this conversation. This is, it's my, I can, I can only imagine it's mind opening, I think, for some who are listening. I, I want to hop, continue to hop around here. And the best thing to talk about after politics and identity is piano. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to know where your discipline comes from with, you know, piano and then performance. Oh, well, sometimes I've wondered if uh, I'm not too enamored of discipline because it could be connected to a desire for control, which may not always be healthy, may not. I don't know that for a fact. Hmm. When was, was Joan Crawford too obsessed with control? Well, is is Barbra Streisand too obsessed with control? I know there was an article in the New York Times about her recently that I didn't read it, but the sub headline said something like "Still in control." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I often have to tell people who I work with, guess what? Barbara and I have the same birthday. So, both both Taurus, both stubborn, I suppose, and uh, I don't know that Barbara Streisand's all of her work and her choices are good choices. I certainly admire her early work. Yeah, uh, from 1962, let's say, and up to and not including A Star is Born. Um, But uh, I think if you want longevity, you have to be disciplined. Um, But there needs to be some spontaneity too. Uh, I mean, Judy Garland became a very undisciplined person, didn't she? I don't know that Liza was very disciplined either. I think she would go on stage without warming up anything, her body or her voice. And that can you can do that when you're younger, but if you want it to last... Yeah. You have to. You need to take care of it. On the other hand, Streisand is uh, not as interesting as she was. Um, I wonder if she hasn't uh, been through too much psychoanalysis. But um, 
Well, I had a teacher, a piano teacher, who encouraged me to practice, and and my mother was a disciplinarian, and then when I got to New York, and well, even before New York, when working in the ballet world, which is a very disciplined world, yes. <laughs> So, and it's connected to survival, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to make a living in New York City, you've got to get up out of bed and go to work. Right. And I've known people for whom New York did not work out, you know, they, for whatever reason, the temptation or just the pressure of living in the city and so they would turn to drugs and that wasn't helping and and they had to leave and they've thrived by not staying here you've been listening to entertainment x the podcast you can follow entertainment x on instagram at underscore entertainment x underscore if you haven't yet go to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast join clay next week for another curiosity conversation on entertainment x thank you for listening 